Good morning. Um, it's, it is a uh, it's a privilege to be back. I I was sharing last night. I don't uh, I don't always get invited back to some place again after my first time. So uh, thank you for being courageous and allowing me to come. Um, the uh, the joy of praying for this church. Uh, has remained constant with me since uh, first meeting the mullets and then being asked to, to come up here a couple years ago. And um, it's just a, been a delight to hear what God is doing here. And to be in this new building is a, a privilege to me, a testimony to God's faithfulness and to your, your vision. Beautiful building. And uh, uh, I'm glad that you let me come back. Uh, I want to echo what Dwayne said. The, uh, I, um, I, I travel a lot. And um, uh, at the racetrack, we have a, a worship experience uh, before the race, a couple hours before the race each week. And so, in a way, it's like being, it's like being with the same church uh, all the time. We're just in 38 different cities. Uh, you know, we just travel a lot. But um, I, I know that you appreciate this, and I don't know the rules here in this, uh, in this congregation. Uh, so I'm going to ask you to do something that I hope is not breaking any rules. But... Uh, I hear a lot of uh, worship leaders. Rarely do I hear lead worshipers, and there's a difference. Um, your group here uh, is, uh, is blessed, and you uh, get to experience that with them week after week. I, I want to echo what Dwayne said uh, about them, and, and I think it would be fun if, if it's allowed that we ought to just clap for their talent and for their hearts and things. And so. I want to um, share with you some this morning just about uh, the heart of God and, and maybe uh, ask you to examine your heart and, and certainly want to share with you some of what God is doing in mine. Uh, one of the delights of, of spending time with people in this setting is I don't really have to do a, um, a series or a, um, uh, I don't have to maybe fabricate a talk or anything like that. I just get to share with you uh, what I think God is teaching me. And hope that he uh, does something for you in that respect. You know, there's a lot of adversity in our country right now. There's a lot of adversity uh, that comes in all different shapes and forms. Uh, I love uh, the commercials on television. I don't, I don't really like uh, very many TV shows uh, these days. But I do like the commercials. And one of the commercials that I like is, I think it's Allstate. And, and one of the things that they talk about in Allstate is this guy talks about, we are in a great recession He says, but we need to consider whether this is a great recession or this will be a recession that makes us great. And and then they do their commercial. And and you listen to that and you go, boy, what a great perspective. We are uh, in a time with a ton of adversity. And and as you look at adversity, you know, as you look at it in Scripture, one of the things about adversity that it it gets rid of... uh, sort of the middle ground of indifference. Adversity forces you to not be sort of indifferent any longer. You're, you're desperate during adversity. It, it strengthens your faith, or it shows you have no faith at all. Okay, it, it's, it's something that comes along to show, in many respects, the core of people. It highlights the genuine in our lives. Okay, uh, 
and shows the faults. One of the things, I don't, I don't know if you guys, uh, do y'all, how many of y'all, uh, <laughs> do y'all have church softball up here? Okay, a church softball is a great example. Okay, church softball is typically done because we say things like we want to sort of have an outreach to the community. But most softball teams do not reflect God very well. Okay, Um, when there's adversity on the softball field, okay, you see the most bizarre behavior. And, and you wonder what these men are really like that they would argue over whether it was a strike, okay, or a ball. And they argue to the point of absurdity, okay, whether they were out or safe. And I'm sitting there going, please, God, have no non-believers watching this, okay. And so, uh, you know, most, uh, most of the people that call those games, the men, they'll say they would rather do anything than be involved in church sports. Okay, and, and why is that? Because adversity shows the genuine. Adversity shows our heart in many respects. And so as we look at that and what's going on, I, I want to share with you, I read a book uh, over these... Um, over this past year, I reread a book by the Kimmel uh, family, and it's uh, Why Christian Students and Children Rebel. It was a tough book. I read through that book, and it said many, many things, but it, there was a quote in that book that said, Every child is an artist. The, the trick or the task of parents is to help them remain that way. That was an interesting line. That how, many of you, how many of you have artwork on your refrigerator that your children have done? Okay, okay. And, and, and you know that every child is an artist. Even if you have to get them to explain to you what they drew. Okay, I go, oh man, I love this. And what would you say this is? And they'll say, oh, it's our vacation at the beach. And I'll go, yes, that is exactly what I see. Okay, and so, but every child is an artist. But... Um, T.S. Eliot says uh, in his poem, The Rock, he says, where's the life that we've lost in the living? It's a great line. How do we lose that expression, that joy as children? And why do Christian children seem to rebel so much? Westminster Newsletter came out and the man that founded the, uh, the school said, my whole heart is in this institution and the cause that it represents. And I pulled back and I went, what, what could I say my whole heart is in? What have I really put my whole heart in? And the cause. Over the last couple of years, as, as I had a chance to spend more and more time with, with Paul Newman, and as we prepared for his death, uh, the week of his death, um, we, um, I've never been with a man that demonstrated more Christian traits and yet would not embrace Christ in my entire life. I, a man that could be a model in many, many ways to the church and how we should behave and yet would not, could not. Embrace Christ as a Savior. Now, by God's grace, there may be something in that last moments prior to his death 
But if that did not happen, then he will be separated from God forever. And so as we went through that together, um, uh, I started looking in a different way at uh, what really has my whole heart. What should have yours? I had a chance to do a funeral this recently and by a man named Click. Click was a legend in the Harley-Davidson world. When we met, uh, I'd already heard stories about him from coast to coast. The brightest light uh, in many respects I've ever met. And then he was killed uh, on a Harley on the way to Sturgis. Thousands of people came to the funeral. They hired police officers in the city because of so many motorcycle gangs coming from the chairman of Harley-Davidson to people that he'd met just in all of his rides across the country, the leading seller of Harley-Davidson's in America. And I laughed and smiled about our time together over that last year as he wrestled with the things of God and came to Christ. It warmed my heart. The other extreme of what Paul Newman's death did, missing click, but knowing with assurance that he goes to be with the Father. So those are the types of things that have been happening in my life. And I assume many things like that in yours. So it makes me come back and ask again, what is the, what is the, what is the heart of God? And what attitude does that heart produce? And what actions do we see in the scripture? The last time I was with you, we went through a, a little, I had you do a, a little experiment. I don't know if you'll remember or not. I don't expect you to remember something that we did a couple of years ago necessarily. But we talked about a book called Sway. And I used an illustration from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And, and the book Sway talks about how rational people sometimes get moved to do irrational things. And, and it uses, how many have seen the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Anybody seen that movie? Okay, kind of a funny movie about high school and cutting school and all this kind of stuff. But it said there's basically four kinds of people. Okay, and, and I think that was true. And we had a good time with it. But I've read a new book now that uh, deals with uh, m- the screenwriter, the, move, the man who writes the movies that we go to see. And his name is Robert McKee. And Robert McKee is um, a man that's uh, considered... He's sort of written the Bible on movies. Okay, and he, he, uh, the title of his book, it's kind of long, but Story, Substance, Style, and the Principles of Screenwriting. Almost everybody that has won any award in movies has gone to this guy's class. He used to be the head of, of the movie department at UCLA. Now he travels all over the world just doing what he calls a story seminar. But this is what he says. When you go to the movies, there are basically just a couple of ingredients that make it be a good movie for you. Or when you read a book, there's a couple of ingredients that make it a good book. And this is what he said. There must be a character that you can relate to. Okay, does that make sense? There must be a character that you can relate to. Now begin to think about, how many of you, if I were to ask you if you have a favorite movie, how many would be able to raise their hand? Or you have a couple of favorite movies. Okay, how many of you have a book that you go, man, I loved that book. Okay, or... Even books of the Bible, that if I were to say, what is your favorite book of the Bible? Okay, typically, there's a character there. 
in that movie, in that book, in the scriptures. We looked at Nehemiah yesterday with the men. Okay, there's a character, and the character has to have a conflict. A conflict that they are willing to make any sacrifice to overcome. Okay, now think about it for a minute. I love the movie Braveheart. William Wallace had a conflict with England. Okay? And he was willing to overcome any sacrifice to accomplish the freedom of Scotland. Eric Little in Chariots of Fire. Even, uh, even the movie The Notebook, which my wife forced me to look at. <laughs> Come on, you see movies all the time, honey. Please don't make me watch that movie. Because I knew she was setting me up. I knew that there was about love and romance and something she wanted me to see in that. But there was a young man that had a love for a young woman. They overcame all sorts of conflict to end up together. And then he made self-sacrifice after self-sacrifice to sit with her as her illness took her life. And when you watch the notebook, even though I don't say this very often, and if you're taping this, you'd have to edit it out, I wept. As you watch movies that unfold like that, you can be at a movie, Blindside is another good example. Leanne Tui, a godly woman in Memphis, sees a young black boy on the side of the road, asks herself a question, am I a good Christian? Over a period of time, they invite this boy into their home. They adopt him. He becomes a professional football player. It's a wonderful story. But they had a character that had to overcome a conflict with great sacrifice. Now, this is one of the things that Robert McKee says, and he's not a believer, but this is what he says, which is interesting. He says that when you watch a movie like that or you read a story like that, that one of the reasons that you clap at the end, and I can tell, how many of you have gone to a movie and you go, people are going to clap at the end of this movie? Okay, even if something as silly as Avatar. Okay, which, don't get me started on that movie. Theologically, it's a mess, but, it was, but special effects were fun. Okay, but even Avatar, you're going, man, I can relate to that character, even though I'm not a little weird about this whole turning blue thing. Okay, I can relate to this character, and he's willing to overcome any sacrifice to accomplish his goal. And so, sure enough, I'm sitting there, and people, but people start clapping. And here's what Rabbit, Robert McKee says that's interesting. He says, but the reason that is true is because down deep inside, every one of us say, that's the way life ought to be. That's the reason we clap. Down deep inside we go, whoa. That's the way love ought to be. That's the way a man's character ought to be. That's the way a family ought to be. Now, ironically, without realizing it, Robert McKee has explained the gospel. There's a character in the gospel. God in the Trinity that has to overcome a conflict our sin and he's willing to make a personal sacrifice to die on the cross so that we might have life with him and overcome that conflict and live the way we ought 
to live free, empowered. So here is the basic premise that I'm trying to get across right now. People ought to clap about your life and you ought to live in such a way that people go, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. How do we get there? What is the basic ingredients of living like that? I want to look at a passage that all of you know. It's in Luke 15. It's the parable of the lost things. Probably one of the most famous stories of all in that, in that particular passage is the prodigal son. It's a passage that deals with four lost things, and I just want you to see it so that we see a paradigm established in Luke 15. It's a great gospel, Luke, written by the only Gentile to, re- to write a book in the New Testament, in the gospels there. He was a doctor. He was a keen observer. He was, he was writing to the Greek audience. And the Greek audience was looking for the ingredients to make the perfect man. That was their mentality. So Luke comes along and he writes this gospel. It's so funny, though. It's really mistitled. I, I, I'm a little concerned when we just say the prodigal son because the emphasis is really not on the prodigal son. The emphasis really is more on the older brother, but also on the scribes and Pharisees. In the first two verses, it says, Now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near to him to listen and both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying this man receives sinners and he eats with them okay it wasn't so much that they they weren't really bothered that the the sinners and the riffraff would listen to Jesus what they were bothered with is that he would spend time with them they didn't care if he came to listen if they came to listen it was when he would hang out with them. That bothered them. And his response to their murmuring, his response to their concern is the parable of the lost things. Verse 4, he talks about a sheep that is lost. Verse 8, he talks about a coin that is lost. Verse 11, he talks about a rebellious son that is lost. In verse 25, he talks about a responsible son that is just as lost. And so as we look at that passage and as we spend time in it, 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 it's, it you know, uh, again, please read it during the week. I, I don't have time to go into all the detail here, but I want you to see something that's very clear. I want you to see the heart of God is to reach people. I want you to see that his attitude is he'll do anything for reconciliation. And the action that he takes after reconciliation is nothing but rejoicing. Over and over and over again. Reach, reconcile, rejoice. Reach, reconcile, rejoice. Just for fun, let's say those three words together with a lot of conviction so we don't have to do it again. Okay? The first word is what? Good job. Second word? Okay, now you were a little weak on that. I know you couldn't decide whether to say reconcile or reconciliation. Okay, so let's just, uh, which one would you like? Reconcile? Okay, all right, reach, we did really well. Second word is what? Reconcile. Reconcile, to purchase us back into a right relationship. To be so connected with it that there's us that there's no question 
And then once we have been reconciled, the third word is what? Rejoice. That is a pattern that we have to see over and over again. And as much as I love this building, this building should only be used because it will accomplish those three things. But it won't be just this building. We as people have to go, Father, help me be about your business. Show me how to reach people. Show me how to be used by you to reconcile those that have strayed or have never known you at all. And then let there be about my life rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing. Sheep. Let's look at that. Y'all know the story. I I thought at first he was really being a little harsh here when he said, which man, you know, has a hundred, one strays. You don't leave the, the ones there and go and look. I thought he was being, but as you look at it, you see more of his heart. And here's what's going on. Sheep, you know, we could just talk about it for a minute. Um, sheep, um, sheep don't run away. Okay? They just don't run away. They just, uh, they just get distracted. You know, sheep, you know, a dog will run away. Okay? Sheep. Most animals will run away. A sheep, they just wander through life and then they look around and go, whoops. What happened? That's why he puts that there. I want you to understand that we are surrounded by people that really are really not bad people. They don't really have a hard heart. They just get distracted. There's some of y'all in this church. I watch you wandering around out in the narthex. I go, golly, they're just distracted. Okay, and so as you look at that passage, you, you, that word has to come out. And as you look at it, you go, what is God's heart here? Reaches out. He can't wait for reconciliation. Reconnection. And then heaven erupts in rejoicing. You got to ask yourself a question. Have I been distracted from the things of God before? And do I know someone that is? You won't treat them like a rebellious person. That's not what they are. Immaturity. I, they might be like my son, like ADHHHHD off the charts. Okay, but they just are distracted. They have they have. Uh, what I would call, you know, we have so many illnesses in psychiatry these days and psychological like of circles, but they have destination sickness. They just forget where they're going. Okay, that's why I have a Garmin, you know. I turned the voice off because I got tired of being scolded all the time. I just, you know, turn around, you know. And if I'm expecting the Garmin to say, you are stupid. You know, recalculating, recalculating. I got get it, I get it. But we need sort of a spiritual GPS, don't we? That just sort of says, hey, get back on track. Recalculate here. Make a U-turn as soon as possible. I got tired of that one. But spiritually, that's what we need. Sheep. That's what click was. Everybody said he was rebellious, but that wasn't the case. I spoke one time at the, uh, we were riding across the country on Harleys and uh, with the Petties raising money for their children's hospital and a bunch of us were together. It's a wonderful time. We do about 3,500 miles in a, in a, quickly. And um, 
I first met Click, and Richard Petty came up to me and said, would you like to share the gospel with these writers? And I said, uh, okay. He said, hey, it's like throwing you to the wolves. I said, well, I'd, I'd like to try it. So there's about 150 of us on these bikes, and policemen escort us across the country, and it's a wonderful thing. We don't have to stop at red lights. They, they, they stop the traffic on the interstate as we come on, and, and, uh, and, and when we pull into service stations, they've closed down the service station, and people sit at the pumps, and we just ride in on our motorcycles, and they fill our tanks up with gas, and we just take it. It's a wonderful trip. <laughs> Although for the next three or four days after the trip, I'm like stopping, not stopping at stop signs and things like that. But um, I began to speak, and the guys began to respond, and Click is at the back, and I'd already heard all these stories about him. He's at the back of the group, and he starts wandering up through the group as I'm speaking, and I'm going, whoa. And I'm going, you know, anything could happen here. He comes on through, and Richard Petty's looking at me like he's getting nervous. Click walks up, and he gets about right here. I finished speaking. We're at the, uh, uh, one of those nice hotels in North Carolina forget the name of it but uh people are out on the balconies and stuff listening and watching the motorcycles and click walks right up front when i finished before i could say a word i finished and he pointed his finger at me he said you might be the first person i've ever heard that really talks to god that was sad he should meet a lot of people like that and then he said i like you I'm thinking, good. (laughs) And then he said, you're going to do my funeral. And then he looked around at everybody and started clapping for the message. And I'm going, I'm going to do his funeral. And as God would have it, he's killed a year later. He just had been distracted. The lost coin's a different thing, isn't it? Lady loses the coin in her home. It's a coin that's real important. Y'all know these coins as you study it. It's part of her dowry as she gets married. She'd save these coins. They would sew it into their headdress for their wedding ceremony. It was their gift to the groom. It was a very important thing. She just was careless. Just, I guess, neglect. How many of you have something lost in your house right now? Okay, come on. You know, you have no. You're pretty sure it's in there. Okay. He's not sure where. Okay, and there's all sorts of things in this passage she, she, you know, that, that are symbolic to the word of God and to the light. But she sweeps and she turns up the light. And she looks under the straw. She's looking everywhere on the floor to try to find it. But the question is this. Do we have people, and are you one of them, that you feel that you've just been set aside or forgotten just because people have neglected you. I want to say something a little more pointed. There are people in your family that can feel just like that coin. You've just been careless with their heart. We We didn't mean to neglect them possibly. Just the busyness of life. God shows us here what? He reaches out. For the point of reconciliation. And then there's rejoicing when the coin is found. Does that make sense? You know, we were laughing about it last night. My wife got me that P90X video. Because uh, she wants our insurance money, I guess. But, but uh, 
So, but she got me this P9X. I've been trying to do it and stuff, but she got me this heart monitor, this watch, okay? And so um, I can just touch it and it'll tell me my heart rate, okay? Hmm. Well, it's not good, <laughs> but, okay, my heart rate right now is a certain number. Wouldn't it be neat in a way if I could kind of, uh, just sort of spend time with you and I could come up with you and, and, and this heart monitor would, would mo- monitor your heart for God. Wouldn't that be great? Not just our physical monitor. You know, but if I were able to come out here and go, you know, do you really have a desire for the heart of God? Do you, do you really have a desire to, to reach out to people, to reconcile them to the Savior and to do nothing but rejoice in the midst of that? How's your heart for that? Then I would put it on your wrist and I'd go, ooh, you know, wake up. No, no, no. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. Okay. But, okay, and so wouldn't it be great if we would wear something like that? And maybe we can. You've got to ask yourself, have I ever been in a position where maybe I just wandered off from God? And do I know somebody that's doing the same? Will I do anything I can to reach out to them, reconcile them in a spirit of rejoicing because that's exactly what the Father has done for me. Do I know anybody that just feels overlooked and neglected because of just carelessness? And have I felt that way before? Then you see, and I'll, I'll try to speed up now. I know uh, we've got we got pancakes and sausage waiting for us. The prodigal son, you guys know, the rebellious son. That's, that's, a, that's a passage that we've studied, you know, and it's very famous. But what you see there is that this son, rebellion is really that we want something now. And we're mad because God won't give it to us. Okay, the, the rebellious son is disconnected from the father because he just says, I want it now. And if you can't do it now... I'll go a great distance from you. That's what it says in that passage. And he went a great distance from his father. That's really what rebellion's all about. My way or nothing. My way now. And yet the father longs, reaches out through prayers and sitting on the porch, runs to him, reconciles, rejoices. It's overly repetitive, but, you know, don't be mad at me. God put all four of them in here. Why? Because I think some of us are like that. And then the responsible son, (laughs) which is most of us, not me, you, the, the responsible son, you know, he, he gets his value in all the wrong places. The responsible son is not rebellious and wants something now. The responsible son is, uh, has this attitude of entitlement. You know, there's nothing like a responsible person, okay? They, 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 they work hard, they know they work hard, and they seem to, it sort of just produces an attitude of looking down on anybody that doesn't do the same thing. I see it in the church all the time. You know, it's just sort of like we just, we just sort of get this air about us. We're doing it right. Look at them. 
and we begin to develop this attitude of entitlement, because I'm doing it right, I should get some special favor from the Father. And if I can't get it from the Father, I ought to get it into church at least. Don't you see that in this passage? It's unbelievable. And so, guys, again, God reaches out. He goes to the responsible son. He says, oh, come on, let's be reconciled and let's rejoice. So my question to you is how many of you just raise your hand if you think at one particular time in your life you have been in one of those four categories? Of course you have. Okay. How many of you think this is tougher? How many of you think you might be in one of those categories right now? Wandering? Feel neglected? Want something now? You're mad at God? Have an attitude of entitlement. How many think you might be in one of those right now? This is a little harder. Raise your hand. Now, don't let me go to a passage about honesty. (laughs) We could, though. Okay, guys, this is a tough passage. I just want us to look at it and see it and, and think about it and go, you know, what should I do with this? I'm thankful for God that reaches out when I'm in any of those four. I'm thankful for a God that says, Kenny, nothing about one of those four areas can keep me from being reconciled with you. Let's go party together. Let's rejoice. Right after Click had said that about his funeral. Now I'll end with this story and we can close our time together. But right after I shared that, we tried to talk about the gospel and he was very hardened probably was one of each one of those we started spending some time together and I started talking to him about how God can overcome any of those conditions and reconcile us to himself and then he he got it he embraced it one of the funniest times was when he he won a trip uh, from Harley Davidson, they sent him to Rome. And as he was in Rome, he had a chance to go to the Vatican out front and wait and listen to the Pope come out. And so I'll never forget, he came back to me and said, man, I went to see the Pope, Kenny, and he said, you're my favorite pastor. He said, but he might be my favorite preacher. I said, really, the Pope? He said, yeah, he talked for less than two minutes. I didn't understand a single thing he said. <laughs> he said, but I'm pretty sure... That as he was looking out over the crowd, he went, hey, there's click. God loves you. I said, you think the Pope said that? He said, I think so. I said, he spoke in about eight different languages. You think that's what he said? He said, I think that's what he said. I said, all right, I do too. That's what he says to you. But you ought to understand the language. God says he's reached out to us. Reconciled us. He rejoices over your life. Zephaniah 3 says that God dances and sings over your name. What an unbelievable passage. We usually spend our time going through life thinking God is mad at us. Zephaniah 3 says he sings and rejoices over you because through Christ you're reconciled. And he has reached you. So let's go out and do the same thing. I just want you to think about it. Please continue to thank God for what he's doing here. But don't lose 
picture of his heart. His attitude and his actions. And let's ask him to help us be about his business. Doing exactly the same thing with all of those people. In this church. And those outside. That are distracted. That feel neglected. That are mad at God because they want something now. Or they're just so responsible. They can't handle other people that they think or not. Reach out to them. Ask God to reconcile them and rejoice. God bless you. Thank you very much.